Merry Christmas, Connection Point family. It's great to see you again this year during the holiday season. Last year, I brought my little friend Nugget, my dog, with me. And since that seemed to be very well received, especially by all the children who are with us on this holiday weekend, I thought I would bring Nugget with me once again. Now, Nugget is a good friend to me, and we get along really well, even when I put her in kind of a tough spot, when I put her up in a dangerous spot she just seems to settle in and do just fine with that. I have noticed, though, that sometimes she has a habit of falling asleep while I'm talking. I hope you don't do that today. In Luke chapter 2, our main text for today, we're also going to look at a little bit in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see some people who were in a tough spot. So I hope that you'll take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, which is where we'll start in God's Word today. Now, let me ask you something as we get into this text today. Do you know someone whose birthday is at Christmas time? Other than Jesus, I mean. My birthday happens to be in the middle of June, and all through my life, I have really liked the fact that my birthday and Christmas were exactly six months apart. So every six months, I got to celebrate a special day my birthday in June, Jesus' birthday at Christmas time in December. The only problem is it works against me as a dad because my birthday happens to be right around Father's Day, so every year I get lots of cards from my kids that say, Happy Father's Day, oh yeah, and Happy Birthday too. Well, there's one person whose birth literally changed the calendar. We divide all of history into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., that's Latin, Anno Domini, in the year of the Lord. Jesus' birth Jesus' life on this earth literally changed the calendar. Christ's life on this earth is history's hinge point. The world turned a corner when Christ came to earth. And when you think about it, our own lives can be divided into those two categories, before Christ, before Christ entered our lives by faith, and then after deciding to follow Jesus, after discipleship, after we became a follower of Jesus. Now, let me tell you, in Christ, it's always the year of the Lord. Now, I know 2020 has been the year of the pandemic, but it's also been the year of the Lord. It's been a year of pain and distress, but it's also still the year of the Lord. But of course, to be honest, if you've ever felt like you wanted to say good riddance to a year, it was probably 2020. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, it is time to turn the corner on the past. Now, actually, we've already turned a lot of corners this year in 2020. Things aren't the way they used to be. School's different. Church is different. Sports are different. Holidays are different. And let's be honest, it can be scary to turn a corner because you can't always see what's ahead. Imagine you're walking down a city sidewalk next to a large building. What's around the corner? Well, it might be something good. You might run into a friend you haven't seen in a long time, or it might be something bad. You might step into a pothole. But if you keep walking forward, even though you can't see exactly what's around the bend, that sounds a lot like what the Bible calls faith. In Luke chapter two, Joseph and Mary turned a lot of corners. Luke writes, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
Now think about this. Joseph and Mary were very ordinary people. Even their names sound ordinary. I mean, Joe and Mary, what could be more ordinary than that? They did not imagine that 2,000 years later, people would make them into little figurines to set up in nativity scenes. These were ordinary people, and we can relate to Mary and Joseph because things don't always go the way we expect, and things didn't go the way they expected. I mean, maybe you want to have a Norman Rockwell kind of Christmas for your family, but this year you're going to end up with something more like a National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation movie with Chevy Chase. Look at all the corners that Mary and Joseph had to turn. They got married. That's a big adjustment. They became first-time parents. That's a huge adjustment. They faced a lot of financial stress. We know that Joseph was a carpenter, but their family was poor. According to Luke chapter 2, verse 24, Joseph and Mary didn't have the money to offer a sheep for the temple sacrifice, so they offered a couple of birds, which was allowable under the Old Testament law, but it was an indication that they didn't have a lot of money. We also know that they moved. That was another corner they had to turn. At least three times they had to move. First, they left their home in Nazareth and traveled to Bethlehem. When it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, that they went up to Bethlehem, it's literally true because it's upper it's higher in elevation. They had to go uphill in order to get there. You know, you can still walk the trail from Nazareth to Bethlehem to this day. It's called the Nativity Trail. It's about a 90-mile hike, and it takes about a week to do that on foot. Later, King Herod tried to destroy any threats to his throne. So when Jesus was still just a toddler, his life was already in danger, and that meant that Mary and Joseph had to move yet again. This time, they packed up and moved all the way down to another country, to Egypt in northern Africa. Well, it's a good thing they had that gold frankincense and myrrh that the wise men brought that helped to pay their travel expenses to move again. Then after they spent time in Egypt, Herod the king died and they returned then to Nazareth again. So they had to move at least three times from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, and then from Egypt back to Nazareth. Let me tell you, relocating is hard. It's tough on family, friends, finances, all of that. And for a lot of us, our living circumstances in the year 2020 took some unexpected twists and turns. Christmas, you see, is not just a soft, sentimental holiday. It is a realistic story about real people, and the story has a lot of rough edges. Jesus was born into a broken world where bad things happen and where things are not the way they ought to be. No government should oppress its citizens, but look what Rome was doing when Jesus was born. No child should ever be harmed, but look what King Herod did. No baby should have to sleep in a manger. But if you're like me, you look at your own life and you say there are things that are not the way they ought to be. I need to turn the corner on the past in my own life. Maybe you do too. As we prepare to enter a new year, it's time to turn the corner and let go of some bad habits that we have accumulated, some worries that are dragging us down. It's time to turn the corner on trying to control everything. This year has taught us that we don't even know what will happen tomorrow. But here's another important point to keep in mind. God turns the corner before we do. God's already out there ahead of us. Christmas reminds us that the Lord God is proactive. He works ahead of us. 
He sent his son proactively into this world to set things right in this world of brokenness. And don't you love how he announced it not to the government rulers like Caesar and Herod, not to the religious rulers like the priests or the Pharisees. God announced the news to the shepherds. I love that. I saw a shepherd when I visited Israel a couple of years ago, but the shepherd that I saw didn't look like those biblical shepherds. This shepherd that I saw was wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and he was talking on a cell phone while he was looking at his sheep. But he did have a long stick or a staff in his hand. And when he banged the stick on a rock, the sheep responded to his voice and followed him. Now, Nugget kind of does that with me. When I say her name, Nugget's ears perk up because she knows that I care about her and I have her best interests at heart. And she responds to certain words. When I say the word treat, she can usually, her ears will perk up a little bit. If I say bye-bye or bye-bye in the car, you know, she, she gets excited about that, don't you, Nugget? And oh, Nugget needs to turn the corner here and look back so that you can all see her face. Sometimes I think that we do not hear the voice of the shepherd the way we should. That shepherd I saw outside of Bethlehem, he would just bang the stick on a rock and his sheep would give him their full attention. We need to give attention to our good shepherd, just like the shepherds did in Luke chapter two. I mean, they turned a lot of corners themselves. Think about it. They turned a corner from darkness to light. They were out there in the middle of the night and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Can you imagine standing in Lucas Oil Stadium where the Colts play and it's the middle of the night and everything is completely dark and suddenly somebody hits a giant breaker switch and all the lights just immediately come on. They went from darkness to this bright light. The glory of God was shining all around them. No wonder they were scared. But this is a symbol to us that we don't have to grope around in the darkness either. Jesus is the light of the world. We need to turn that corner and leave the darkness behind. The shepherds also turned the corner from fear to courage. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. God's message to us is still, do not be afraid. No matter what's around the corner, the Lord is already there. He's already turned that corner. Remember the 23rd Psalm? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now the shepherds also turned the corner from loneliness to experiencing the presence of God. They were out there feeling like they were by themselves out there in the shepherd's field when suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God. They may have thought they were alone, but suddenly their eyes were opened to see that there were actually a huge host, a crowd of angels out there praising God. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6 about a time when the Israelite city was surrounded by enemy soldiers and chariots and horses. And a young man, a servant of God, was very, very concerned and worried and scared about all this. And he came to the prophet Elisha and he said, my Lord, what shall we do? Because all these horses and chariots and soldiers were surrounding them. And Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's looking around saying, it sure doesn't look that way to me. 
But then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These angelic forces weren't evident to the naked eye. But when God opened his eyes, it made him see, oh, there are spiritual forces at work. God is really surrounding his people. We're not just surrounded by the enemy. God is with us and his angels are here to serve. Now, according to Matthew chapter two, not just Luke chapter two, but Matthew chapter two, the wise men get into this story as well because they turned a corner from aimless wandering to God's direction. You remember the story, it says in Matthew two, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi, I like these guys because in the midst of the darkness, they found a bright spot and they pursued it. Corey Ten Boom did that. Her family rescued Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II. Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. What she's saying is, find the bright spot and follow it. Now, I know skeptics scoff at the idea that God could lead people with a star. And this is sometimes made fun of by people who don't believe. Let me show you a photo, though. Let me show you a picture. You know what this is? I know it just looks like uh, sand or, uh, or maybe a piece of carpet or something. You know what this is? This is actually showing 500 million stars in the Andromeda galaxy. Taken, this photo was taken by the Hubble telescope. 500 million stars. This is just a small slice of the universe. My point is this. It's no problem, folks, for God to make stars. He certainly wouldn't have any trouble designing a special star to lead the Magi. In the midst of the darkness, God provides bright spots. The Bible says, going on in Matthew 2, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They found a bright spot and they followed it, and it led them to a place of joy. Let me tell you, we can find bright spots in the darkness too. God provides them if we look for them. Just a few weeks ago, right after Thanksgiving, our neighbor's house caught on fire during the night. We woke up in the morning to find that our neighbor, just three doors down from our house, their house was a total loss. Several years ago, my own family went through a house fire so my wife, Candy, and I have a lot of sensitivity to that problem, and we decided we wanted to do something to help. My wife, Candy, went around and decided to do a collection from our neighbors. Now, you have to understand, like many neighborhoods, our neighborhood is filled with wonderful people, but folks who don't always interact with each other, people who don't really uh, talk much with each other, don't even know all of their names. But my wife wrote a letter, handed it around to everybody in the neighborhood, and for the next several days, a beautiful thing happened. Neighbors were coming together. People would come up to me I didn't even know. I got to know their names. They'd meet me in the driveway or catch me in the garage or ring the doorbell and stand there with a card in their hand with money in it for, uh, for the helping of our neighbors who, whose house had burned, cash and checks. Altogether, over 40 different neighbors pitched in 
A nine-year-old girl gave $3 out of her own money to help. Altogether, our neighbors gave over $4,600 to the woman whose house burned down. Our neighbors, including the folks who experienced the house fire, are finding bright spots in the midst of the darkness. Now, back in Luke chapter two, we learn about some other folks who did that as well. I love that the Christmas story spans different generations. So it tells us at the beginning of Luke chapter two about Mary and Joseph's young family, but it also later tells about an old man named Simeon who was told by God that he wouldn't die until the Messiah came and he would see the Messiah. I have to think as Simeon looked at each new year beginning, Simeon must have wondered, will this be the year that my eyes get to look upon God's son, the Messiah? Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus into Jerusalem to the temple and Simeon lifted the baby Jesus up in his arms and he praised God and said, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, I love this part, he says, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, one reason I love that is because it's a beautiful way to describe what it's like when a believer prepares to die. It's like a teacher telling her students, class dismissed, or like a military officer telling his soldiers, at ease. After long years of waiting, Simeon found the bright spot and it gave him hope and it gave him joy. Even as he prepared for his own death, It gave him joy and it gave him hope. Anna found the same thing. Anna was very old, but according to Luke chapter two, verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I love that Anna was thankful and she was the kind of person who in her older years used her influence to point other people to Jesus Christ. Now, folks, We've obviously been through a really rough year. But whether you're young like Joseph and Mary or you're old like Simeon and Anna, God calls us to live by faith. And before we close this message today, I wanna challenge you to consider two questions. I wanna give you two questions that will help you turn the corner on the past. And the first one is this, what will you treasure? What will you treasure? What really matters the most to you Do the things that matter most to you consist of things that a stock market downturn could destroy or that a virus could tear down? Jesus said that we shouldn't rely on treasures that rust or thieves can steal. And let me tell you, that lesson has been underscored for us this year. We need to turn the corner on the past on treasuring the wrong things. There is a car called an Infinity. You might've seen it. It's a really nice car, but that name always makes me laugh because no car is infinite. I mean, you know where that infinity is gonna be in 30 years in a junkyard, right along with all the other cars. Nothing on this earth is infinite, but God is. Now, I love the way Mary found a different kind of treasure. It says in Luke 2, 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is right after the narrative about Jesus' birth. Then later at the end of the chapter in Luke 2, 51, when Jesus was 12 years old and then he was growing up with them in Nazareth, it says he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And again, it tells us that she had treasure in her heart. Now, all of us who are moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas can relate to that because we all have a treasure chest in our hearts. We remember 
when our children were born or adopted. We remember first haircuts and first days of school. We remember birthdays and holidays, and we treasure these moments. And I want to tell you, if you haven't already done it this holiday season, treasure these things. I remember when my son went to college. We loaded all his stuff into the car, and we slammed the trunk closed on the car, and, the, and my son just said, Dad, can we take a walk? We began kind of walking around. We just walked for like a half hour without saying a word, just reaching out, and he would just kind of pat me on the back, and I would reach out and kind of pat him on the back because there was something happening that we knew was very, very precious in our lives at that time as we were saying goodbye and sending him off into adulthood. Folks, the lasting treasures are not what you hold in your hands. They're what you hold in your heart. This Christmas season, treasure the things that God has put into your heart, your family, your loved ones, your church, your relationship with God. If you want to turn the corner on the past, ask that question. What will you treasure? And then ask one more question. Who will you trust? You know, trust levels are so low right now. Americans have lost trust in our government, even in the election process. But folks, we can't afford to slide into cynicism and bitterness and skepticism. Every dollar bill reminds us wisely, in God we trust. God is faithful, he is reliable, he's trustworthy, he knows what's around the corner, he knows what's ahead. As someone has said, if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. You see, 33 years after the manger, there was the cross. Proactively, God intervened to make such a difference. Talk about turning the corner. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and then three days later, he came back to life again. Talk about turning the corner. Turn the corner from death to life, from despair to hope, and we can do the same thing. As you turn the corner from 2020 and leave this difficult year behind, what will you treasure and who will you trust? Now, at the beginning, I mentioned how Nugget trusts me. She does. We get along really well. And she trusts me that even when I put her in a tough spot, she knows that the time's going to come when I'm just going to pick her up in my arms and everything is going to be okay. We can trust God that same way. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the way that this Christmas season reminds us of your intervention to bring light instead of darkness, to bring hope instead of despair, to bring eternal life instead of death. Thank you, God, that you have gone before us and paved the way to joy and peace. Help us, Lord, to turn the corner on this difficult year and move ahead with strong, deep, abiding trust in you. For this is our prayer in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.